Um, good morning. Today's scripture comes from Malachi chapter 4. And we'll be reading the entire chapter. Don't worry, it's only six verses. Um, if you would remain standing with me for the reading of the scripture, that would be awesome. Uh, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, it should be up here behind me. Um, the word of the Lord. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Simon. Uh, my wife and I and my two kids have been coming to Reconcile for the last three and plus couple months, uh, years. So with COVID, if you haven't seen me or my family, it's not because we haven't been here. We've just been in the rooms. Um, and it's been a really interesting time to like not be in service with you, but um, hopefully that time is soon passing. Um, also, if you're, if you're unaware, I am one of the three or four, three, four men in this church that are currently going through elder assessment. Um, so it's been a joy meeting with Pastor Will and these uh, four other brothers, uh, three other brothers in the church, and really just working through what it means to be an elder, if that's something that uh, God would have for us. So um, yeah, it's just an honor to, to be a part of this church and to be bringing God's word to you today. Uh, if you're unaware as well, today is, marks the start of Holy Week. Some people call it Passion Week. Today is Palm Sunday. It's um, in the Bible, it's called the Triumphal Entry, where Jesus comes in on a, on a donkey and um, he's just showered with praises. Hosanna in the highest, uh, the Savior who is to come, the, the Son of David. And it, it marks the week where he enters uh, Jerusalem to start the Passion Week, where he uh, has the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He gives himself over to the authorities. He lays his life down. And as you know, next week, he rises in victory. Um, so I hope and pray that this week, as you're going through Holy Week, that you would just take some extra time in your life to reflect um, on what Jesus has done um, once for all, for all eternity, and just think through um, those same very people who were cheering him on on a Sunday Come Thursday, Friday, uh, they were saying we'd rather have Barabbas than Jesus and crucify Jesus. Just, just reflect on that. Um, think about that and think of all that he's done uh, to make life possible. Okay, so today is March 28th. And if you're a sports fan, it's one of the most exciting times of the year. Does anyone know why today, this week or this month is one of the most exciting times? March Madness, yes. So if you're not familiar with March Madness is, it's the, most, the majority of Mar March, where 68 of the top 
national college basketball teams come together and play in a one-game elimination tournament. So if you lose one game, you're out. And so even if you're the best team in the country, if you have a bad day and you play some team that has a 500 record but somehow made the tournament and you lose, it's over for you. Right? And it's called March Madness because it's a little bit unpredictable. Right? Every year, people fill out these brackets and try to decide who's going to be upsets and things like that. Um, Oral Roberts almost beat Arkansas yesterday. They were the number 15 seed, and they almost beat a number three seed. It was pretty incredible. Um, but for those of you who know me, who've seen me, who've talked to me, you know that I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. And as a result, I, I am a huge University of North Carolina fan. So um, I'm a, I love the Tar Heels. Uh, they lost the first round this year, which was a heartbreaker. But in 2016, the University of North Carolina was the number one ranked team in the country. And in the championship game, they were playing uh, Villanova University, who by, were not bad by any means, but they were certainly the large underdogs. So obviously in this game, I was rooting for UNC very heavily, and they were the favorites. They were favored to win by three points. Anyway, I'll spare you all of the details except for the last minute and a half. In the last minute of the half, minute and a half of this game, UNC was down by six. And with four seconds left, by the time there was four seconds left on the clock, UNC tied it. So I was jumping around, losing my mind, kind of going crazy. Because um, it's like, oh, this game's going to overtime. So Villanova has the ball. They call a timeout. With four seconds left, they throw the ball in. They inbound the ball. The point guard runs the length of the floor. And as he's dribbling to the right, he passes the ball off to, the, to Villanova's best scorer. And from three-point land, with 0.8 seconds left on the clock, he throws the ball up in the air, and time just slows down. You guys know what I'm talking about? And the ball is in the air for what seems like 10 minutes. And if, if you followed this, the ball goes through the hoop. The buzzer sounds. Villanova wins the national championship in 2016 on a buzzer beater, and my soul is crushed. <laughs> right? So on one side... There are these Villanova teams, there's Villanova teams like piling on each other, like they're jumping on top of each other. There's confetti flying from the ceilings. The fans in the stands are going nuts. Some of them are crying. And on the other side, there's people doing the surrender cobra. Do you guys know what that is? That's when like something happens in sports and you're such disbelief, everyone's like, <laughs> right? That's called the surrender cobra. UNC players are doing the Surrender Cobra. The fans are doing the Surrender Cobra. And players are just, some players are crying because they're seniors. They're not good enough to make the NBA. This was their last like, professional college game. And they lost on a buzzer beater in their championship, championship game. Like they're just in tears and they're, they're like just in so much heartache, right? And so on one side you have wild celebration and the other side you have wild pain. I know there's a silly story of a basketball game that happened in 2016 that I quickly forgot about, though I have some heartache talking about it today. <laughs> I think it paints a picture of what God says will happen one day on the day of judgment. And he's saying that specifically to this passage to the Israelites through the prophet Malachi. 
So we're wrapping up um, the book of Malachi today. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Will for giving me this passage. Because I get to talk about judgment um, while he's in vacation, which he really deserves. But, um, but in the Israelites in Malachi's day, um, if you're not sure with the timeline, they were once exiled from their home country and under Persian Empire, they're allowed back into their homeland and about, they could rebuild the temple. And the idea was once that's all done, the temple would be rebuilt, the city would be established, that God would once again come and there would be joy and celebration. Um, and when that didn't happen, um, the Israelites start to doubt God and his promises and they start to backslide in their faith. So they were doing like these rituals of spiritual rituals, but they were in their hearts not necessarily loving and serving God. And so God, seeing this, warns his people. He says, hey, look, there is a day coming and you need to know what's going to happen on that day because what's happening right now, it's not, not going to go well for you if this continues to happen. So in verse one, he says it simply for look, the day is coming. And this simply means that there's a day of judgment coming. So when we go back to our story in the beginning, the clock is winding down. It's going down to zero. The ball is in the air and it's coming towards the hoop. When that ball goes through the hoop, you're either going to be on the winning team or you're going to be on the losing team. You're either going to be celebrating or you're going to be in agony. You're either going to be on the wrong side of it or, or, the right, or the right side of it. And God clearly in this passage paints a picture of what it means to be on one side versus the other. So we're just going to break that down. So what does it look like to be on the wrong side of judgment? Verse 1. And I, I want you to understand, like, when we talk about things like this, the, 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 the tone that, that's spoken here is really to reflect the tone of the scriptures. I don't want to talk about something that the Bible talks about seriously and make light of it. So let's just look at this and let's reflect on it seriously. It says, for look, the day is coming burning like a furnace when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. So who is on the wrong side of judgment here? It says the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness. So what does it mean to be arrogant? It basically means that those who are proud, those who elevate themselves above God, who see themselves as the authority and don't see God as an authority. They stand so proud that they can openly defy God in their life. And what will it look like? And what would it feel like when Judgment comes for these people. God calls this a furnace. A furnace. And what happens to them? It's just for when, for, for when these people, when God comes down to judge, it's God calls these people stubble. I feel like I need to sit here and like explain that a little bit. So when we think about stubble, what is stubble? Stubble is after farmers uh, harvest the grain, they cut these large stalks of grain and they gather all of it. And all that's left are these tiny stalks in the ground. And so in order to start a new harvest, this stuff is like kindling. The farmer will come and he'll just burn it all. He'll burn it all. 
and it basically it'll just get utterly destroyed and there's nothing left and the farmer can start a new crop of grain. So I want you to see that picture of what judgment looks like for people who don't love and submit to God. And furthermore, he says, he is not going to leave them any roots or branches. When there's roots, when there's branches on a tree, that means there's life. There's some semblance of life. And God is saying, no, there is no more life. No more roots, no more branches. I hope that you see the tone that God takes with Malachi when he, when he talks about judgment this way. In Malachi 3.3, God talks of himself as a refining fire. And in that context, he talks about being a God who will purify his people, that he will do the necessary hard work to, to, to sanctify, to make holy, to remove impurities from God's people. This is like, no, he will do that. But when God comes in judgment, he's not a refining fire. He's a consuming fire. I hope you see the heaviness of that. And if, if, God, is, if God is not someone that you, you, you would call your Lord and Savior, if you do not submit to God in your life, I would say just take a look at this passage and consider what your life means and frankly where it's going and where it's headed. What I like to think about when I think about this passage is um, when I was a kid and I was in trouble, my mom and my dad were working 12-hour days and for days like a report card, when report card day came and I didn't do well and I told my parents that, that phrase of, Wait till your dad gets home. Does anyone know anyone hear that and still have like bad memories of like wait till your dad gets home? Like there is a day when our heavenly dad is coming home and he will have the final say. So on one side we see what happens on the day of judgment for people who don't Submit to God who are arrogant and proud. But I, what I also want to do is paint you a picture that God paints here is the good that will come if you are on the right side of judgment. And I just want to work through that with you. So in verse 2 and verse 3, it says this, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out, just look at this picture, and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. So who is on the right side of judgment? The pastor says, for those who fear God's name. It's the faithful, the ones who have a right view of God. The arrogant put themselves above God, but here we see those who fear God, see God as the rightful authority that he should be and understand their place before God. And what will judgment look like for the righteous ones? The life-giving heat of the sun. It says the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So what will feel like a furnace for one group will feel like when you're in a dark, cold, night 
And then the sun rises and the sun comes and gives you life. That's what judgment will feel like. It's healing and wholeness. You're going to jump, playfully jump like calves from the stall. We'll unpack that in a little bit. But like these calves, like if you think about these calves, they are, they're newborns. They don't have the energy. They're in the stall. And then at some point, the sun rises and they're able to go out and play. It's a picture of God's people who struggled through the harshness of this world, yet remain faithful to God. That this world often feels dark. It feels cold. It feels difficult. It feels tr- you feel like as a Christian, you feel trapped in, in the ways that you're supposed to live with integrity and sacrifice. And yet you feel like you're stuck in this stall. But when the Lord comes, all of that will be done away with. And you are free and joyful and full of life forever. Being from Boston, uh, my wife and I, we lived in Boston. Well, my wife is from Boston, but I lived in Boston for 12 years. From December to April, it's like you don't go outside. You have a nice day here and there, but you just, you just stay indoors. You just figure it out. And that first day, we're like, you can go out and wear shorts and eat outside. And your kids are out there playing with water tables and like they're wearing shorts. It hits different, right? It's just a different feeling. There's this joy. Like even down here, when we, when we had these 70, 80 degree days in March, and even though it was like 40 degrees every day, and all of a sudden it just turns on a dime, and you see your kids playing, like that feeling of joy of like, oh, this, this is right. This is how it's supposed to be. That's what the day of judgment will feel like for the faithful. And the son of righteousness is generally regarded as a term in Abrahamic history as the Messiah. Right? So the son of righteousness with healing in its wings, the sun's rays are healing. But what we know on this side of the covenant of God is that the son of righteousness is Jesus. In Jesus, we will find healing. In Jesus, we will find wholeness. In Jesus, we will find life. And the other thing that the day of judgment will bring for the faithful is vindication. Vindication. It says, you will trample the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing. The very ones who were proud and were arrogant, who spent their lives making their lives more and better than God and greater than God and greater than others, they essentially are the ones who will now be trampled by these calves. Do you see that picture? It's this imagery that the arrogant who made themselves high will be brought low and they will be trampled. It will mean that you will be proven right and justified by God for your faithful endurance in this life. And when I look across this room, I know specifically that some of us have endured hardship because of our faith. Some of us have had to turn down financial gain because following God meant that that couldn't happen in their life. Some of us have had 
relationship cut off because of our faith in Jesus. And if you haven't yet, there will be some point in life where following God will cost you something. It will cost you something. But on that day, when God comes back on the day of judgment, you will be vindicated. God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It was worth all of it. And the other thing that this passage shows is that God is just. God does not let the sins of this world slide. God doesn't let those who are proud and arrogant walk away scot-free. And some of us like to think of God's judgment as being unfair. But I want to propose to you that God's judgment is the ultimate picture of fairness. It's this reality that someone who goes into a grocery store and shoots down 10 people won't just get away with it. It means that God will have something to say about the acts that we commit in this life, good or bad, and he will have the final say. I want you to understand that God is just, and that is good. And your faithfulness in this life will be vindicated. So the question I have for you is this. When we, when we think about this passage, are you on one side of this filled with fear? Thinking about the day of judgment and all that entails? If so, I would say, take this passage as a warning. Hear this passage, and I would ask you to explore who God is, who this Jesus is, what he has done, and what that means for your eternity. And if you're on the other side and you're, you hear this passage and you're filled with hope, I hope this helps you press on in your faith. I hope it moves you towards continued faithfulness. That God will right all the things that are wrong and all the hardships of this, of this day will one day be done away with. So in the first three verses, God lays out what will happen in judgment for those who both obey and disobey God. And then this passage sort of takes a turn. He, he sort of, God says through Malachi two things. One, he says, remember the past. And two, he says, look forward to the future. So when he says, uh, look, towards, look in the past, he says, remember the instructions of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And he says, look towards the future. Look, I am sending Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So there's one sense he says, look, at the, look to the past and look to the future. And I want to sort of break this down. Look to the past. He says, remember the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments and Mount Horeb. This specifically, I think, means, draws out two, two things. One, God speaks, through people, God speaks to people through his word. I want you to sort of understand the timeline here. This is Malachi, and he's about to end this chapter. And after God speaks through Malachi, God goes about 460 years without speaking to his people. He doesn't send a prophet. He doesn't send a messenger. It's like God is just kind of like it goes dark. 
And before he's about to do that, he says, look back at the Ten Commandments. Look back at the giving of the law. The simple takeaway here is when you cannot hear God's voice and God feels silent, look into his word. There will be times where God feels like, it will feel like God is not speaking to you. But in this book, we have all we need. We have God's inspired breath of God in this book. That the more you dive into this book, the more we will know what his will is for us. So that's the first implication. Second, in this looking back, God's command to look back at the law reminds us that we are his people. I want you to sort of remember the timeline of when the law was given. If you know the history of the Israelites, this is not how it goes. It doesn't go, God says, Israel, here are the Ten Commandments. If you obey these Ten Commandments well, then I will free you out of Egypt. That's not the timeline, right? The timeline is, you are my people. I will free you from bondage to slavery. Now, here's my law. The giving of the law just showed the world and showed Israelites that God was their father and he was their people. I want, you to, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that I go to Walmart with my daughter and I walk down the aisles and I'm going shopping and I see some other kid wilding out. And I walk up to this kid, I put him over my knee and I spank him. And I said, you're grounded. People are like, that dude's crazy. That's not his kid. He doesn't tell, get to tell his kid what to do. I create rules and laws, laws in my family for my kids for their good. And it's my kids who I get to say, this is what you can or cannot do. I don't get to do that for other people's kids. Right? God's giving of the law here means and reminds people, it's like, hey, you are my children and I am your father. So when God is about to go silent, the last thing he says is, you are my children. I want you to know this. When you see this book and when you read it and you believe in the words that are here, I want you to be reminded that you are his child. I want you to take hold of that. So that's what looking in the past is. Looking in the future, God gives us prophecy about how God is going to send Elijah. And before the day of judgment, God will send Elijah. And if, if, you, if you study this a little bit, um, scholars will agree that this coming of Elijah is actually John the Baptist. And the, re the reason for this is they both sort of dressed the same. They both preached and came from the wilderness. They both preached repentance. They both preached to kings who were outrightly disobeying God. And uh, John the Baptist's role was to prepare the way for Jesus. So basically what God does is like, he's like, hey, I'm going to go silent, look back, but I'm also letting you know, I'm, come, I'm going to say something to you at the right time. He says he's going to send John the Baptist. So um, he does this to warn people, to encourage people, to speak truth, kind of like he does in this passage. What I want us to take away from that is even though God's word is sufficient, he still speaks to us today. 
even though he has given us everything we need in his word, he is committed to his people. So I'll end with this. What I want you to see from this passage is the kind of perfect father that we have in God. First, we see a father who is warning his wayward children and warns, warns them of what will happen if they continue in their rebellion. He doesn't wipe his hands clean and say, I'm done. Whatever happens, happens. I've lost my patience. He continually, through the prophets, warns them as any loving father should. Second, he rewards those who love and obey him. And he celebrates and participates in their thriving. Just see a God as a loving father. When you do well, he celebrates with you. Third, he lovingly provides boundaries for us because we are his children and give us all we need to know and give us all we need to know about his heart and what he intends for us in his word. See a God who gives us good laws, good rules, because we are his children and he loves us. And fourth, even though he has given us all we need, he still speaks to us and gives us grace upon grace upon grace. Friends, this is a God worth serving. This is a God worth loving. And if he is not your God, I implore you, speak to your pastors, speak to me, speak to someone here you trust about who God is and what he's given us in Jesus. And if you do follow him, I hope that your heart and your love for him will continue to grow and your faithfulness will continue to grow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave this God we love. And I thank you, Lord, that in your word and through your word, you remind us, you love us, you shower down your love and grace on us. And thank you for using this text to show how you warn us, but also encourage us and show your care for us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that the day of judgment would not be a day of fear, but a day of hope, a day of excitement, a day of jubilation, a day of vindication, a day when everything that has gone wrong in this world and everything that sin has touched will be done away with and there will be nothing left but the bright light of your glory making all things new and then we will live in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.